Tom Hardy. I think I liked it more than I thought I would. Yeah, same. I was pleasantly surprised, but I went in with like literally no expectations. I would. I wasn't bored. Which I guess is saying something. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. All right. So um, I'll go ahead and start. Welcome back, everybody, to Movies with G-Rose. Here I've got Ronnie with me. We haven't done a podcast episode together since, like, I want to say it was episode two or three, which is when we talked about Marriage Story. And today's episode will be kind of loose. Um, I just we, – we started talking to each other about, like, our favorite directors, and it's something that I've always kind of wanted to do an episode on but um, never have. Uh, what's up, man? Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, Lonnie was getting too annoyed at our conversation during Fortnite, so we needed to take it to a separate place, dude. <laughs> yeah, and fair enough. Um, it's like when you guys talk about sports and I just zone out. It's the same exact thing, but in reverse. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> um, oh, man. Do you want to start with your – I mean, let's let's just dive well, first, right First of all, before I go forward, what is a movie that you have seen recently – it could be a rewatch that uh, you really liked. Forrest Gump, actually, I watched yesterday, and you dude, told Forrest me that. Gump is like a Forrest Gump is a solid movie, man. You know, I think the back like thirty minutes, I don't really give that much of a shit about. Like when he gets off the bench, I don't care at all. But everything before that is really good. I mean, to be honest, I haven't seen it in such a long time that there's probably a lot of it. I don't remember. I, it's one of those movies that's like always on TV. And every time it is, I end up watching it, but I really don't remember a lot happens in the movie, you know? Yeah, dude, a sh- an absolute shit that happened. Yeah. I was watching it. I was like, dude, I don't remember like most of this movie. I remember Vietnam. Cause that's know? kind of like the whole shtick of the movie, right? Is that just like a billion fucking things happen? Yeah, just like a ton of stuff happens and Forrest Gump is there, which now that, you know, you put it like that seems like kind of like lazy, you know, but but. do you do you think that added something to the movie? I mean, like I said, I haven't seen it in so long that I honestly can't really even put a judgment on it. I don't know what I have it rated as. I I don't think I gave it a rating on the letterbox after watching it yesterday, but like, I don't know. I think like all of the historical footage that it splices in is definitely really cool. But like, I don't know. Is that a gimmick? Maybe, but they do it well. So I don't know. As <laughs> yeah. much as I can really say about that. That's fair. It's not like phenomenal. It's not like mind blowing. Tom Hanks is really good. Got to give that up. Yeah. I mean, what, it's really maybe good. his best role. Is that saying too uh, much? I mean, I don't know. He's done yeah, a lot no, of great stuff. Is, but yeah, he's done, he's done a lot of movies. Well, maybe that or like Cast Away or something like that. Some other movie you probably haven't seen. You know what? I've never seen that movie. What? You know what? Funny enough, I've seen Saving Private Ryan. I've seen the middle. I've seen the beginning, and I've seen the end. But I've never seen it all together. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't really tell you anything about it. I don't think it's a good movie. You know, all of the pieces I've seen are really good, and I'm pretty sure together I've seen the whole movie. But like, I can't say the last time I sat down. I don't think I ever sat down front to back to watch it. I think I've literally always just caught it on TV and at different sections. Um, yeah, I I couldn't tell you. I mean, I've never really cared that much for Spielberg. What is that? Is that Spielberg too? Uh, I, be- I don't know, man. I, I think it might be. Um, but speaking of yeah, Spielberg, um, 
you know, that wouldn't be one of the directors I would say is, is one of my favorites, but I'm sure we have some strong feelings on the ones that we would say. Dude, he had a hell of a run in the middle. Like, I don't know. Now Steven Spielberg doesn't do anything interesting at all. Right. But like, dude, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, Minority Report, Jaws. Like he's got some hits, bro. Well, you know, that kind of, that kind of segues us into it, you know, and it, kind of our conversation which is it's not even necessarily i mean there's plenty of directors that make tons of really competent well-made uh you know pieces of art that we wouldn't put anywhere near our top favorites um because to put something as your favorite piece of art is uh especially if you consume a lot of art is a pretty uh narrow window especially as you get older do you find that to be the, the case for you Really? You think so? I don't know. I think my tastes have sort of expanded as I've gotten, as I've gotten older. I think I'm, ah, God, that's so fucking interesting. Actually, now that you put it like that, I don't know. You know, I can't tell if my tastes have narrowed or if they've gotten more open. uh, Well, maybe it's, it's kind of, maybe it's both, you know? I mean, I, I definitely enjoy more types of movies simply because, and I talked about this in my last episode about how, like, as I've gotten older, I found that unique films or at least unique to me are things that I gravitate towards or remember more fondly. And, and maybe that's just a, you'd like, like, you know, your, your tastes. Yeah. 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 You're definitely right. But, but when it comes to things, yeah, you see more things and you look for something new, you know, you get to see so much. Yeah, like at a certain point you can be like, ah, this guy's just like ripping off, you know, a bunch of other movies, i.e. Joker, you know, which is just like four or it's just like three fucking Scorsese movies put together. Yeah. And like not good. Yeah, well, well, exactly. You start looking for things that are different and you and you you maybe judge those things more, uh, more highly because they're different and that that interests you differently. Um, but I, I do think that as well, when you get older and you watch more and more films, you know, when you get to 746 films watched, um, you, I think you simultaneously really, you know, figure out what it is that you love in a movie. You know, there, there are certain things like, like if Fincher announced, announced tomorrow that he was going to put out a movie about like, uh, some crazy serial killer played by Ethan. Uh, Hawke. Like, I know that I'm going to love that movie. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I'm probably going to like that movie. Yeah. More than, you know, the next, you name it. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely think that you, you like, for instance, I, you're going to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson. He has, I would argue he has a very uh, unique approach to making movies. And even if it's not super unique, it's, it's, it's very stylized. You know, he picks a lane um, and if you're not, into I can't that say lane, that there's not... another director like him in, in Hollywood today. I wouldn't say that there's another director like him today. Well, let's go ahead and talk about Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm going to pull up on screen on my end. Um, just his films. Um, I've seen, which ones have you seen? I've okay. I, I, I've seen punch drunk love. I've seen the master. Right. I've seen Amazing. boogie nights and I've Amazing. seen, um, I think that's it. Yeah, I have not seen. You haven't seen There Will Be Blood. <laughs> I haven't seen There Will Be Blood. I haven't seen Phantom Thread or Magnolia or Inherent Vice or Licorice Pizza. Um, I, so I guess I, I've seen what th- three of his movies. 
out of, I would say, eight hits. Uh, those are pretty good three to have seen, though. Those are a pretty fucking good three to have seen, honestly. But why is it that you like them so much? Uh, the Master? I mean, the Master is my... I mean, the color palette in the Master, first off, is without a doubt the most like beautifully lit movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. Like I can't, I can't think of another movie I've ever seen that looks like that. Right. And I've been looking for it, dude. I literally, I fucking, uh, I started harassing like my friend who does photography and being like, dude, how does he like, what is, what kind of cameras and stuff is like doing this? Cause I want to, I want this in my, uh, in all of my life. But like, I think one of the really interesting things is like most of his movies don't really follow. Like, I think Boogie Nights is probably the only one with a traditional like three, three act story. Right. I think that one is like, you can sort of fit that into three acts, but like the master just like, I don't know. It's such an interesting, it's such an interestingly crafted story. Cause you, you don't meet Philip Seymour Hoffman for like the first like 20 minutes either. Right. Like the yeah, first 20 least, minutes are yeah. just all Freddie Quayle, you know, the first five are all just in like the pre is just like world war two leading up to V day. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like phenomenal. And it's such an interestingly told story, right? Cause it's about like two people meeting each other, how they like change each other's lives. Right. And then how they just like sort of separate, which is sort of uh, a unique, th- it's like sort of unique in, in all of his movies is that, you know, they're, that's kind of a common thread in a lot of his movies, right? Like two people that kind of crash into each other. Yeah. They crash into each other and how it changes their lives. And I think that's very different from how most other directors approach a story. Like, you know, a lot of other things have like, you know, the plot drives character interaction, right? In a lot of other movies. Whereas I think for most PTA movies, it's kind of the reverse where character interaction sort of drive forward the plot, which is why I think it's really, which is why I think I sort of gravitate towards him as a director because I'm more interested in like these smaller, more personal stories, even like Boogie Nights, which is like over the top and crazy, I think is more intimate as a story than like most, uh, most modern like blockbusters, I guess. Right. Because they're most they're they're almost all about like character studies. Right. Well, here's the thing is I I also gravitate towards movies that are more character driven. I mean, those are the best movies Uh, unless I mean, the what's the other you know, the other option is what, like a big action set piece. That's obviously not what I'm talking about either. But yeah, I I mean, listen, I, I think with Paul Thomas Anderson, I think I do enjoy his writing and i love the performances that he gets out of people um the cinematography is great in the master it's it's kind of a a soft color palette at times leaning on muted but it's really just a lot of like warm pastel or maybe not even just warm but like it's a very soft look while still yeah i just never figured out how i never figured out how he does that you know i've always wanted to know how you get a movie to look like that so the cinematographer was someone named Mihai Melamere Jr. He also did Jojo Rabbit, I guess. So yeah. um, that's kind of interesting. But um, yeah, back to Paul Thomas Anderson. I think what I just I, – I have a trouble getting into his pacing. He he takes a lot of time to let things breathe, which Dude, works really yeah, well. Yeah, which like you, you, you hate movies that do that. Though. I disagree. Like, I, I disagree. I, I, I love movies that are a slow burn, but it, the script needs – for me, I'm okay with movies being long. That's not my issue. I like giving characters time to breathe and develop, but what I don't love is – I don't love when a movie's really long and it's also filled with a lot of just 
um, just mood building shots. Like I need dialogue, interaction, development. You know, if you're going to make a movie that's leaning on three hours, I want a lot to happen. It doesn't necessarily need to be drastic, but I start to I start to check out when I'm at two and a half hours and we're still doing like exposed like you know what i mean like setting shots that are twice as long as any other director you know like i understand why he's doing it but those are beautiful it's it's exhausting beautiful yeah they're beautiful Uh, but it's just for me i I check out i prefer more to get into the i prefer to get into like the the atmosphere in the film and the mood of the movie right like i feel like i feel like and mood is such like a it's such a hard thing to like I don't know. It's a hard thing to verbalize what the mood of a movie is, right? And it's sort of like it's even hard to capture that in dialogue, but it's a lot easier to capture that in like in in like a visual language than it is like in, in written in like spoken word, right? Like mood sure. is a lot like you know, and I think he does a lot of like Paul Thomas Anderson specifically is much more of a, a sort of like subtextual director oh, where 100%, like you yeah. know you know, the words aren't really the, you know, you're not, the words aren't the words, right? They're yeah. not, you know, you, you have to, you know, and I prefer that for most of my directors. I think that's also why I really like the Coen brothers, right? The words aren't really the words, right? There's a whole, sure, whole but what like, make, what story do, going on below them. Sure, but the Coen brothers are, you know, they have the advantage of comedy and, and wit um, that they use a lot more liberally. Um, which can help. I'm not a massive fan of the Coen Brothers either. They have a couple bangers that I love. Um, which ones? Uh, uh well, th- first of all, let's just finish up Paul Thomas Anderson. I I did like Punch Drunk Love. Um, it's one of uh, it's his shortest movie. It's one of it's Adam Sandler's movie. best performances, and I really like how the script keeps you on your toes for that movie. A lot of random things happen. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman comes in towards the end for like just some, you know what I mean? Seemingly no yeah. reason. Yeah. Um, but he's great in it. I mean, he gives it, an awesome performance. And, and that's the thing is I, I don't hate Paul Thomas Anderson because his movies look great. They're interesting stories. And he gets like dynamite performances. Like the master I only watch because I want, because I want to see that first like interview scene, but you know what I mean? Like where Philip Seymour Hoffman oh, yeah, is like interrogating, amazing. uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Like that's enough to watch the movie. So, but that happens like, that, that really happens like, like 40 minutes in, you know? I don't know. I think uh, the other thing that really stands out to me about Paul Thomas Anderson movies and him more than any other director is that in almost all of his movies, and this is why I didn't, I had a problem with the because of this, but like the final shot in all of his movies is like fucking phenomenal, right? Like it's, it's always like almost like every one of his movies that I've seen, the final shot really like stays with you. And I think that's like a big thing for me with directors is like the last thing you see the last thing you see, like it, the, it, you have to end a story well, right? And ending a story well means getting like that last shot fucking perfect, right? And like that's literally my problem with Ligger's Pizza is like I think the final shot is like bad. Like I just don't think I it's don't, particularly I, good and I don't think it's good for the story. It's so funny that you put so much weight into that because I never even think about it. Really? I, ne- I never I, think about it. I mean I think about the last scene right to a movie like sure like a movie has to end well but the last shot never crosses my mind yeah the last thing you see you know it just, i, I yeah. put a massive weight on that yeah it's, i, I it's guess funny. that's just like my own it's just like my own thing that's why i love uh this is just like an aside 
Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but like Portrait of Lady on Fire has literally one of my favorite last shots in any movie I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. And it's like, because that shot, I still think about it. The rest of the movie, it's in French and I can barely remember what happens in the rest of the movie. But that last shot has stuck with me for like the last two years since I've watched it. That's hilarious. Um, not It's interesting. Um, I, uh, Boogie Nights, I thought was fine. Fine. I mean, it's his attempt at like a Scorsese movie. Probably liked it the least out of the three that I've seen, um, which mean, is interesting well, because it seems like a movie that I might lean towards. But I just this. Yeah, it does uh, definitely seem your speed. Of the three movies that I've seen, I feel like this one was the most unnecessarily long. Yeah, I feel he like also the master does like maybe a lot of justifies. really long tracking shots. Yeah. He has a, does a lot of really long tracking shots in Boogie Nights, but they're really well done and they're beautiful to watch. But like, yeah, I yeah, mean, it's, it's interesting. Just like setting up shots that he doesn't really have to do. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to apply that like subvertive, dark feeling to a, a story like this. But um, I just, I don't know. It didn't, I didn't love it. Um, I, I, I'm surprised it's from 97. That's older than I thought. Yeah. That's when I was born. Um, if you don't if you don't like his pacing, you should never watch Magnolia because even I struggle to get through fucking Magnolia, dude. And I don't understand. I honestly, I'll be honest, don't get that movie at all. You know? The I, final, like the final ending of it makes no sense to me. I feel like it's been on my watch list. I can't remember for how long, but I do oh, it's Tom fucking Cruise. That's funny. Yeah, it's um, Tom Cruise. And I need he's to good, see there will it's be blood. Just like, I don't get it. Yeah, there will be blood is phenomenal, but like also he spends the first 20 minutes with no dialogue. That, and that's so fine. Like, Listen, for the opener of a mo- movie, I can deal with it. I just I it's when you get towards the end of the movie that I start to become fatigued, especially on rewatch. Like on the first watch, like okay, if I'm in a movie theater, fine. But like if it's like I, I'm less likely to revisit. Like I've seen The Master twice and like I don't really think I'll ever I might watch it again in like five years. You don't think you'll ever years. revisit it? Dude, I could, re- I could watch The Master basically any day of the But week. that's what I'm saying. For Literally me, I need – I gravitate – and you'll see this in my favorite films. I gravitate towards meaty, tight scripts. Um, I, I don't gravitate they, – they need to have style and, and emotion, of course. But um, the more airy, uh, mood-setter films, they just – Oh, yeah. I, I think I'm okay – I think I'm much more okay with like wandering, you know? Yeah, no, I know. You know what I mean? Like to let, let like a camera or like let a story like just sort of wander on its own. I think I'm a lot more okay with that from a director. I'm a lot more, you know, I'm okay. If they want to wander, if they wander somewhere interesting, I'll, I'll, I'll follow it, you know? Right. Well, um, is there anything else you want to say about Paul Thomas Anderson before we move on? Um, What's my this, opinion, what, your favorite? Probably the best director. Favorite? Oh, the master easily. The master. I mean, and go I, ahead. It, it's my favorite. It's my favorite movie of all time. You know. Okay. I also really love Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love is probably my second favorite of his movies. Licorice Pizza is good, but like the ending, I just the final shot is not great, and it just it really bothered me. Yeah, so what ending? Because all of his other movies, yeah, it's not even like it's literally like the final shot is just not great, and it was annoying because like every one of his other movies that I've seen, it's like. Oh, great final shot. You know, <laughs> sticks with you. Phenomenal. You know, I expected him to nail the landing, but it's the first time in the in his movies that I've seen that just doesn't. Oh, if you also hate meandering and wandering plots, you should not watch Inherent Vice because that shit just wanders a lot and is super fucking confusing. 
I won't. Um, all right. So let's move on to, I might as well talk, go straight to my favorite director, um, David Fincher, the king of the king of crazy. Um, I have to give Mank a rewatch. I don't give uh, listen. But at the I, same time, listen, at I don't the give same a time, I don't want to rewatch Mank. I don't give a shit about Mank. Um, I don't give a shit about Benjamin Button. I've never seen Girl with the Dragon oh, Tattoo. Oh, you did Benjamin Button? Yes. Yeah, um, I don't give a shit about Benjamin Button. In all honesty, but like you, you that could... leaves five masterpiece films: uh, Fight Club, Gone Girl, Social Network, Seven, Zodiac. Oh, and The Game, which is also underrated. Um, the game. I wouldn't say the game is a masterpiece, but it is phenomenal, starring Michael Douglas. Have you? Have you? Do you know of the game? I haven't. I haven't seen it, dude. Is this like a setup for a joke? <laughs> no, I would say I would give the game like a seven out of ten. It's from 1997, um, and it's about this rich guy played by Michael Douglas who signs up for a service that um, he's really rich and he's kind of bored of buying things. And this there's the service that they do like weeks worth of like psych evaluations on you. And then they develop a game that blends seamlessly into the real world. So you can't distinguish what is the game, who are fake and what is real life. And that's kind of the premise to the movie. Um, And it kind of goes how, yeah, it goes down, you know, a psychological avenue you know it's david fincher it's one of his earlier works i wouldn't say it's his best or even in the top league but it is definitely worth a watch um but so I mean, what is when did he do that right after seven and before fight club um well fight club was 99 and seven was 90 95 yeah so it would have been right in between seven and fight club um so, I mean, listen, The Social Network is probably my favorite movie of all time. Um, he takes a story that has absolutely no right to be as interesting as that movie oh, is. Yeah, it um, has no right to be that good. And and part of that is due to the fact that he got, you know, Sorkin to write the script. Um, that's obviously a huge part of it. Um I actually would not. I don't. I think the movie is more carried by David Fincher's directing than it is by Aaron Sorkin's writing. Because did you ever watch I mean, the Steve both. Jobs movie? I I didn't. Um. And and I mean, I would say it's both. Obviously, I'm I'm not saying I, Sorkin has made scripts that are too, um, you know, pseudo intellectual or whatever you might call it. I, I but my, 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 they work together so well on this movie. I'm just I wanted to bring up the Steve Jobs thing because that's another Aaron Sorkin movie that's directed by like Danny Boyle or whatever. Right. And it definitely like is just not nearly like it is also one of those movies. It's like, yeah, the subject matter isn't particularly interesting. Aaron Sorkin does write it well, but like it's definitely not nearly as compelling as it as like uh, the social network is. And I think that's because like David Fincher is behind the camera on the social network. Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. And and. Yeah, David Fincher takes him to another level. It's just this movie is every time I watch it, I love it. And it's it's, you know, it's a good blend of a real story with characters you care about and a lot of comedy. It's a really funny movie, but not in a ha ha cracking jokes type of way. It's just clever, well-written dialogue. Um, 
And I think that's why I continue to come back to it is it's not the fact it's not the story. You know, it's not the fact that Mark Zuckerberg was some smart kid that stole an idea. It's not about him making a, a, a dating website. That's not why I give a shit about this movie. I care about it because the characters and the way that they interact with each other is so real and so funny but rooted in reality that the fucking the runtime flies by every single time the performances are insane yeah you're right that movie really is unbelievably well paced like i yeah the runtime just flies by the the pacing is insane it really doesn't slow down at all there's no. like it, it, I, that's the thing though. I don't get. I don't think there's much room to breathe in that movie. It's 121 minutes and it's tight and there's nothing in it that I would necessarily cut down or remove. I, I'm not left wanting more from the story. The ending is phenomenal. You know, like you you come out of that movie and you're like, holy shit, Andrew Garfield is like and actually and like as I've gotten older, I've realized how much I love him as an actor. Um, I don't. You get the random like Justin Timberlake performance that is just absolutely oh, yeah. like insane. Is that insane. his like first acting role? Is that his first acting role? He's done a he's done a bunch of random stuff that is like pretty good, you know. Um, he did in time in 2011, and Social Network was 2010. So, um, Inside Lewin Davis 2013. Um, oh, dude, what a movie that one! I I guess it's Justin Timberlake's first like big movie kind of yeah i guess so um yeah i don't know i love this movie and it's it's it is because of fincher you know there's a lot of movie like videos out there that show how interesting fincher's camera movement is and it's a very subconscious thing but he's able to move the camera with the characters in this synchronization that it keeps the movie going like i think he's i think when you move with the characters as much as possible and have these like interesting shots like that. Uh, it, it, it makes you feel like you're moving through the movie. I don't know. The I, pace, think my favorite, I think my favorite, I think my favorite Fincher shot is the crane shot at the end of gone girl when, uh, mm. Amy falls into Ben Affleck's hands. And then it's just like that crane that goes straight up. That's a beautiful shot. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, I think it, gone girl might actually be my favorite of his movies. I mean, I listen, he's, it. he's a killer and, I, I don't even think he writes like most of his, I don't know if he's written any of his movies, but he, he, he clearly loves these stories about crazy people. These, these, you know, that he sees potential in and, and he, that's what all of his movies are. It's kind of crazy. Like, um, fight club is an absolute think, masterpiece. Gone yeah, I don't think I could pick a, yeah. Now that I say it, I don't know. All of David Fincher's movies are really close together in my opinion. I love, I love the Seven. social network. Don't get me wrong, but I I love Fight Club and Gone Girl and Seven honestly just as much. At Seven, I would say is a small step down. Um, just on rewatch. Really? I mean, well, I, listen. It, is it because you know? No, is it it's you know it's Kevin no, Spacey. It's because it's because Seven is the epitome of a cliche of of a cliche because it kind of invented and and perfected that cliche. It's so drenched in the muted color, uh, cop dynamic, grungy. It kind of, it has a very similar detective tone as Saw. Um, Does it really? I've never seen the Saw movies. Yeah. I mean, it's, it just that um, detective element of it is so nineties, you know, this movie came out in 95. It's so like on rewatch, it feels a little, cliche but um 
I still love it. It's I really- mean, the, 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 it's so dark and disgusting. And, um, I think I, you know what I think it is. I think when stories aren't afraid to go to dark places, I enjoy them more because it feels like there's real stakes. And in all of yeah. his movies, you always have a sense of what the stakes are. And, and it's, it, it drives that, that suspense, um, that thriller. And, um, and he can still make them psychological. You know, Fight Club is like one of like the the most interesting critiques of like masculinity while masquerading as like a hyper masculine film. Like it's such an interesting movie that every time I watch it, I feel like I pull something different away from it. Um, oh yeah, I don't know. I, I think I know it's I've really been interesting that you mentioned the like dark, grungy like atmosphere for seven. Because like if you go to Zodiac, then right. The most Clean. like one of the one of the craziest scenes there is like when he fucking when the Zodiac killer kills those guys in the uh in the park in the broad daylight, right? Yeah. And that's like just so much different from anything else in seven. But yeah. then most suspenseful scene in that is like and that movie is like pretty it's pretty bright, honestly. Like there's not a lot of that's what I was gonna say. I, I would say Zodiac is the is the modern day version of a detective film because it's very clean, it's very um it's kind of similar to Spotlight where it's very much rooted in the actual process of journalism, but then he sprinkles throughout the creepy Fincher, you know, serial killer scenes. He's really good at suspense, isn't he? Oh, I mean, yeah, you're going to see that in my, in my list of favorites that that's like, that's what I am. I gravitate towards suspense. Um, I really enjoy like slow builds and then like powerful payoffs. Um, Zodiac is probably more on my list. Um, I love it. I I fucking love Gone Girl. I love I love Gone Girl. I, ben Affleck. It's probably his best performance. She's awesome in it too. Rose Rosemond Pike. Um, and then you've got like randomly good performances like Neil Patrick Harris yeah, and Tyler, Tyler Perry, Perry Tyler just like Perry. come out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it yeah, and absolutely kill it. I, I love it. It's the script is so juicy and the turn is so good. Um. The it's based on a book, and yeah. the author of that book also wrote Sharp Objects, which is an HBO miniseries with a. I didn't. I didn't care for Sharp Objects. Honestly. Okay, I, I I did enjoy it, um, but it, uh, yeah, I mean, I I love crime movies and and suspenseful dark movies i i would give gone girl an eight out of ten. I'd give Social Network a straight ten out of ten. I'd give Fight Club a I, nine out of ten. Um, seven. I think I have Fight Club at a ten. I think I have Fight Club at a 10. I mean, it's incredible, dude. It's just, it's, I watched it with Nat. Natalie hadn't seen it. So I, I watched it with her for the first time and it was like, uh, it's just so fucking good. And Brad Pitt is just I feel like Fight Club does take a kind of while to get started though. Ah, it opens up strong though. Bosh, Bob has bitched it. That is such a strong opening line. Well, it's, it's really funny because Natalie didn't know too much about it. I mean, she knew like the basic kind of stuff, you know, she'd seen some stuff about it, but But she doesn't know that Edward Norton is Brad Pitt. No, she didn't know that, but also she just didn't, she didn't know that it was as like critiquing of like, she didn't, she didn't know what the movie was. She walked away from it saying that was completely different than I thought it was going to be. She didn't understand that it was going to actually be this like subversive intellectual look at like consumerism and cults and masculinity and 
it's it's a very weird movie. It, it, there's no other way to describe it. It's filled with these really weird sequences. Again, a story that David Fincher did not write. It's based on a book that he didn't write. But he's able. I don't know how he he's able to adapt these stories. them really well. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you're right. Now that I think about it, Social Network is adapted from a book. Uh, Gone Girl is adapted from a book. Fight Club is adapted from a book. Seven, I think, is an original. Yeah, Seven is an original. Um, but did he? I, I don't, don't even know if he wrote it. Zodiac is like a real story. Like the Zodiac Killer is a real person. So yeah, I guess that's adapted he, from real life. He didn't write Seven. He didn't write Zodiac. Like he doesn't write his movies. Um, now I'm sure that he has a lot of control over the script, but he's not a writer, oh, and yeah. I think that w- that makes him unique in the sense that he has this collection of like really insanely good movies, but he doesn't write them. Like that's kind of unique for such a polished director. Um, You're right, actually, because now that I'm thinking about it, like if I had to say my favorite directors, Paul Thomas Anderson writes all of his own movies. Coen Brothers write their own movies. Wes Anderson writes his own movies, and I fucking love Wes Anderson. Um, well, I think, I think we've talked enough about David Fincher. I obviously love him and I dominated this segment because of that, but his movies, I mean, Fincher is a phenomenal director. Yeah. His movies kind of got me into this genre of psychological thriller. You know, the movies that he's made were probably the first that kind of like made me realize like, oh, this is the type of movie I enjoy. You know, like there's other directors that do similar movies, but he's kind of what got me into this this niche. So um, do you do you want to talk about Coen Brothers? Do you want to talk about Wes Anderson? What's your number two or throw throw one out there that would be your favorite? I do want to talk about those Yorgos Lanthimos movies. Because that is such a unique. So, fucking, like, are you saying that Yorgos is one of your favorite directors? I I love his movies. I yeah, I mean, probably one of my. I've only seen two of them though, but I love both of them. Let's. Right? How about we I do this? Speak of a sacred deer. How about we talk about your top three, and then at the end we can do some shoutouts. All right, for sure. Uh, yeah. Up next then has to be the Coen Brothers, right? Have you seen Barton Fink? Fucking phenomenal. I have not seen Barton Fink. I think let me let me pull filmography. What have I seen and what haven't I seen? I don't think yeah, because I don't think I've seen their entire filmography. I don't think I've seen most of my favorite directors' entire filmography. Okay, if you'd like, I'll talk about the ones I've seen. Just real quick, I'm just gonna mention the names. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, A Serious Man, Blood Simple, Burn After Reading. Hail Caesar, No Country for Old Men, and Fargo. I've seen a lot of their work, about half. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Fargo, No Country for Old Men, Buster Scruggs, Barton Fink, Big Lebowski, A Serious Man, Inside Llewyn Davis, Burn After Reading, Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I saw True Grit like years ago, mm. like like damn near a decade ago. So I okay. basically don't remember anything about it. And I saw Raising Arizona with my family, actually, which was uh, interesting because they really like it. My parents are like Indian and they don't really like most American movies. So the fact that they like that was kind of a shocker. I did also see Inside Lewin Davis and I have completely forgotten about it. Really? Inside Lewin Davis is so good. I feel like. What's your number one? Like, how do I explain my favorite Coen Brothers movie? Mm hmm. That's so hard because every time I love, every time I watch one of their movies, I'm like, oh, this is an amazing movie. Like, I think I have, I have No Country for Old Men at a, at a ten. I have Inside Moon Davis at a ten. Uh, I love Fargo. 
I think I have Oh Brother Where Art Thou as a 10. A Serious Man is really good. The Big Lebowski is really good. Barton Fink. Like, see, that's the problem. They have all, they have just hits. But like, do you have you a, know? do you have a personal favorite? Personal favorite? I don't think I could pick one, honestly. Wow. Yeah, I, um, I am, they me- I'm, drama me- I'm medium on them. Really well. Really? What don't you like? Uh, what don't I like? I, yeah, cause it's easy to talk about what you like. They're have snappy writing. The direction is always good. You know, I don't even know. Their movies just, well, I... it's tough. Like, Oh brother, Oh brother, where are thou? I, I thought was fine. I don't know what it is. Like a lot of their movies, I just kind of forget about. Um, there's, there's two movies of theirs that I, that I adore. Um, but I think that which when, two? I think Burn After Reading is one of my favorite movies, um, and it, part of that is obviously Brad Pitt. But really, they're all great in it. I, I've come to realize as I've gotten older that Brad Pitt is like actually phenomenal. Dude, Brad Pitt's one of my favorite actors. Um, so br- I would say Burn After Reading and A Serious Man. I think those two movies are absolutely incredible. Um, everything else they've made hovers around like an eight or a seven. Um, I didn't, I don't what do you, like, what do you think Fargo? about the first scene? And what do you think about the first scene in a, in a, a serious man? Like that weird fucking Jewish demon like thing. Oh, the, you know little, what I'm talking about? the little excerpt. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it's like a prologue or something. I don't know. I like what. it. It's, it's weird, but you know, it's, I think what, I think what drew me to that movie is I think, a serious man is trying its best to be a modern uh jewish parable, parable specifically yeah. a jewish parable um because you know i kind of i grew up around christians and i grew up christianish and um they don't end the same way that Jewish parables do. And the way that a serious man opens is on a Jewish parable that kind of illustrates that the end, the endings are usually like kind of confusing and unsatisfying. Um, and that's how the movie ends. Um, and it's kind of a journey about this, like half serious religious like you know what i mean like he follows this idea and it's been a while since i've seen it but like his interactions with the rabbis are really interesting about how they're not oh, very i love helpful. the rabbi interaction yeah and they're just like you not, almost walk away yeah, from it more confused than when you started but you still you still get something out of the story like there's still something to analyze about the journey and i'd probably have to watch it again to give it a serious you know, critique, but I, I, I saw it one time with you and I really loved it. You know, I think a real interesting thing that I just realized between the connection between why I like Paul Thomas Anderson a lot and why I like the Coen brothers a lot is that their movies explore uncertainty really well. Right. Yes. Like this, this yes. sort of concept of not knowing, and I guess I'm just very uncertain in my own life, which causes me to sort of gravitate towards these sorts of movies that also sort of you know, deal with people who are uncertain of a lot of, of a lot of things and sort of just like get into the situations because of their own uncertainty and like the consequences of, you know, yeah. the consequences of not knowing. Right. Yeah. And I think that's probably like, uh, that's yeah. Now that I said it out loud, I think that's probably my, uh, 
that's probably why I do like these two directors the most. Because that's interesting. A lot yeah, of, that's like, a good word for all it. their stuff is about like uncertainty, right? Have you you haven't seen Barton Fink, right? No, I haven't. You should watch it, and you're gonna hate this, but maybe actually might be my favorite Coen Brother movie because also the last shot is unbelievable. You're like, hilarious. Un- unreal final shot, especially given like everything else that happens in the movie, and it navigates like that uncertain like feeling so well and then like the final shot hits you and it's like what the fuck did i just watch yeah it's phenomenal um, yeah i and uncertainty is a good way to categorize your taste um because i i i enjoy and i would I struggle to think of a similar word that I could use for mine because I enjoy psychological thrillers, you know, but it's not the uncertainty necessary. I mean, I love suspense, which is rooted in uncertainty, but it's a different type of uncertainty. You know, it's yeah. Mine's more of like, a, you know, not to be like, it's more like uncertainty be about like, you know, one's place in the world. Right. Maybe- which is I sort of like a common thing in all of these sorts of, in all of these movies. And you, you know what I think also it is, though? I think that um, I gravitate towards uncertain films that have a satisfying conclusion to them. And a lot of these movies are more open-ended. Um, yeah, see, I love I love not having I, – I prefer – I think I would prefer, like, the not – the non-conclusion. Like, and I would know? too, but I still need a really – I still need a really strong climax. If a movie just sort of peters out, I tend to enjoy it less, uh, which is why like burn after reading. I adore because like the end, there's this giant climax and then the ending is like this hilarious little cap, um, you know, with JK Simmons. Yeah. With JK Simmons in like um, three scenes. It's got this great ending. And, um, I, I definitely think that movies with soft endings, I immediately gravitate away from. I don't think the series. I don't think a serious man has like a very hard ending, though, right? It does. I like mean, it has, it has that crazy, weird, sure. uns. I mean, that, that's a, listen. A serious man is kind of a, an exception because I think that's the point of the movie. Is it's trying to be this kind of like wacky, uncertain, like unknowing. Parable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas like movies like No Country for Old Men or Old Brother Where Art Thou or Inside Lewin Davis, like I appreciate them and like I had a fun time watching them, but there's not enough oomph in the ending for me to like walk away super impressed. I just, I don't, that's I don't actually really that interesting because I think Oh Brother Where Art Thou out of the movies I mentioned is probably the most like definite ending for a Coen Brothers movie. You yeah. Know? And, and Cause like, I, it yeah. definitely has a more like, there, there, there's definitely like a guarantee of certainty at the end of that movie. Yeah. Right? I, I think Which I just didn't love definitely that movie. not something that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, it's like, a there's a lot of songs, a lot of music. Yeah. And it's honestly, it's a much more, um, it's a much more like like uh, simple movie. Like it's not like mega deep or anything. It's kind of just like an adventure movie. Like it's not. It's a much more accessible, I would say. Um, yeah, it is probably one of their more accessible films. I think Fargo is pretty accessible. I w- well, I would say that's one of their most popular films. Yeah, that's fair. No Country for Old Men is. I love the ending for No Country for Old Men with like Tommy Lee Jones's just like little monologue about him, uh, you know, 
uh, yeah. it, it literally just ends with a monologue about his dream and it's just like what the fuck and yeah, then it see, just I ends love that. like what I, a movie i didn't love that i i don't even need it to be some like giant climactic shootout or something like i don't need it to be cliche i just like i need uh, uh, something a little more than that i didn't love the i like it movie. i like it a lot when a movie leaves me with a lot of qu- i like it when a movie leaves me with questions right i do like, too but i would questions. still not like not have... like plot questions but like like because like you can interpret what he means from his dream you can interpret that a lot of different ways right and i prefer a movie that ends like that as opposed to like uh, the more concrete i guess endings right yeah. where it's like thematically where it's like thematically concrete i prefer like i do think i prefer like some thematic uncertainty uh which That's like interesting. you know you can interpret in a lot of different ways i d- i don't yeah that's fair i i don't hate thematic uncertainty but i think a lot of the times when i talk about a tight script i, I one element is i do enjoy when a movie has um a, a steady through line and message to take away from it even if you don't you don't necessarily have to know what side you fall on for that message i'm not saying a movie has to tell you exactly how to feel about something but i do prefer movies that i don't know have a have an ending that really solidifies what the movie is whereas sometimes like these other movies like coen brothers or pta like they end and they kind of just in general, they, yeah, they're not very thematically, I don't know what the word is, you know? They're like, how do I, how do I put this? Like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to say, but like, there's definitely like that, that concept of like, I don't know, you're left still like thinking about it and like, what, what do all of these, what do all of the pieces mean? Right? Like, how how do their interactions with one another develop theme as whereas like i think a lot of other you know directors you know have the idea of a theme and then they build their interactions around it whereas like you know these interactions sort of drive forward a lot of different ideas for both the coen brothers and paul thomas anderson movies that's fair Uh, and i I, listen i like coen brothers i've seen a lot of their stuff it's just i i probably i don't know i don't care that much i just don't what you think what you think of Macbeth? It was good. Um, I need to rewatch that with something. Couldn't understand yeah. most of it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> Literally, like, I'm sure if I, I could translate it, like, then the I would. I would probably enjoy it a lot more. I would say. I think. Yeah, I think even if I read it, even if I watched it with subtitles, it like, old English is just such. A, I, I don't know, dude. Old English is such like a. It's it's basically like a foreign fucking language yeah. without real good translation, yeah. right? No, exactly. It's not like watching a foreign film where you have subtitles, right? It's like this is basically a completely different language, and like the they like even subtitling it isn't gonna like give me much clarity yeah. into it. But I thought it looked stunning, and I thought the performances. I mean, Denzel fucking kills it. Yeah, I mean, I I like the movie a lot. It, you you can read a lot of what's going on from the words that you do pick up and the performances, um, the general plot you can grab onto. But there's definitely a lot of the movie where I'm sit- I was sitting there in the theater like, I don't understand this, and I also know that no one else in this theater understands this, and it feels kind of weird that we're all sitting here and watching something that none of us understand. Um, <laughs> That was kind of weird. Um, 
but yeah, it was a good movie. I mean, I, I might watch it again someday if there's like subtitles or if someone like, if someone could build, like write a subtitle track with like comedy. With like real English. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that might be English interesting. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I thought it was fine. I, I'm surprised you'd put them in top three, the Coen brothers, but, uh, I don't hate the pick. It's, you know, they're fine. I think I just came to the conclusion that the reason I like the both of Paul Thomas Anderson and Coen brothers so much is because their movies grapple so much with like uncertainty and like these feelings of uncertainty, right? Which to me, like, you know, I've already said this before. The biggest, the biggest thing for how much I like a movie is the amount of emotional resonance I get to it, which is like a completely subjective thing, right? Well, but yeah. like those, those themes are ones that I, I like exploring more than probably most other things in a movie. I like exploring uncertainty. Like I like exploring like this sort of, I don't know, uncertainty of being right. Like lack of, uh, or uncertainty of purpose very much right in movies. And yes. so watching them, like, I don't know, I find it to be, I don't know, maybe therapeutic. Yeah, no. And I, I think you're being very honest and, and I, from what, from what I know about you, I, I think you're right on the money. Um, whereas for me, I, um, I just don't, I don't struggle as much with uncertainty of purpose. I mean, I struggle with it, the, 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 the amount that I think every human being does, um, that baseline that we all kind of have, but, yeah. um, I, yeah, I, I just say, look for something I different. I would say it's a bridge too far for me to say I struggle with it more I, than most. I, I prefer, I really love movies that can, that can transport me and, and examine something really interesting about society. I think that's what I gravitate towards. Suspenseful stories that say something larger about society. Um, I, guess, I see. I'm I guess much you could more say, interested in like smaller individual uh less understanding about the the society that it exists in and more like uh you know personal personal well, I struggle. guess I guess whereas I I think where you look at movies and you look for movies that look inwards at characters I kind of look outwards where I also love great characters that are sprinkled into a movie but I'm more interested in how number one those characters interact with each other and number two how society reacts to those characters um I, I'm totally fine with a movie getting you know down and intimate and just focusing around a couple people but um as you'll see with my movies you know like with Fincher you know the movies are are oftentimes centered around a group of people and how that group is, you know, treated by the world and how they treat the world. Um, and usually you can get something thematic out of that. Um, it doesn't have to be like the social network. I, I couldn't tell you what the theme of it is really. I, I, you know what I mean? There's no strong theme that I pull out of the social network and yet it's probably my favorite movie. So there's an exception to everything. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump over to, uh, my next pick, you already know what it is. It's um, this person has become, you know, one of the only directors that even I ever I I never thought I'd have someone rival um, David Fincher, but Denis Villeneuve has become a, a such such a favorite of mine. Um, 
I mean, he's definitely the best sci-fi director in in the world right now, at least. That's. I mean, yeah. I guess I don't want much foreign sci-fi, but no, I mean, you're right. Uh, you're you're yeah, you're right. Um, and Denny is interesting because, um, he does have three massive sci-fi movies, um, and that's what most people probably know him from. And I yeah, for sure. love those movies. Um, but my favorite movie of his is Sicario, which is a movie that, um, Oh, I always fucking forget. He did Sicario. Sicario is one of my favorite movies of all time. I just saw yeah. it for the third time. So intense. So um, intense. And it, honestly, on this third watch, I really dug into the themes of the movie because it's a very dynamic film that keeps you in the dark for a lot of it because the main character is kept in the dark. Um, you know, it's yeah. this movie about this woman fighting the cartel and she doesn't learn until much later that the forces dragging her into this fight are actually the CIA. And the movie plays with the ideas of utilitarianism and, um, you know, do the ends justify the means and, um, how masculinity and violence play a role the, the, it has so much to say. It has so many themes. It 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 examines boundaries. It examines perspective very very well. You know, there's this uh this this through line story that he has throughout Sicario where at, you see this uh this man in Mexico like get woken up by his son and he eats breakfast and then you know maybe 20 minutes later you get another scene of him you know putting on his uniform or or playing soccer with his son um and you only get little bits of this man and then at the end yeah. he clashes with the assassin and meets yeah. this terrible end and the final scene of the movie is uh, after everything is said and done and after Emily Blunt has has decided she's going to put aside her preconceived notions of what is too far because she thinks that it's for the better good um, in the end, as painful as it is. After that, we get a scene of the police, the DEA or whoever it might be racing through the streets of Mexico as this little kid is trying to have a soccer game. Um, or no, it's not cars. They hear gunshots in the distance and they all pause and they look um, and then they resume their game. And it's just this really, really powerful scene to end on where it's like, we spend the whole movie through the perspective of these Americans with these weird, you know what I mean? This very narrow worldview. And we end the movie yeah. with the harsh consequences that we don't even have time to really examine too heavily in this movie. Um, it's just, it's a masterpiece, man. It's, and you and, think that's like thematically the point that like, you know, a lot of the things that they're doing in like the, um, the American side have the larger consequences that we never see because like, it, you know, it's in Mexico. Well, 100 percent. The whole the whole theme yeah. of the movie is, you know, um, again, do the ends justify the means? And it layers that with another theme of, you know, what what ends are you perceiving? Um, it's, it's both of those ideas playing off of each other. Um, there's this really, really powerful scene where, when she first goes to Mexico and they're planning the, uh, the transport of their fugitive across the border and they're sitting in this room and they're discussing yeah. it and everyone leaves and she kind of freaks out. Cause she's like, what the fuck are we doing here? You didn't tell me anything. And she's talking to Benicio del Toro and she keeps asking questions and he keeps kind of dismissing her and telling her like, just watch and learn. And at the end of it, he says, um, 
to your American ears, nothing we do will seem right, but in the end, you will understand. And then at the end of the movie, there's this interaction where he forces her to sign this document saying everything was was done by the book and she's sobbing and she doesn't want to do it and she's like bruised up and yeah. abused. And he leaves and she pulls a gun on him and she decides not to shoot him. And it's like this perfect conclusion to that theme of like – something's got to give. And even though the CIA is trying to, um, trying to consolidate cartel power in order to bargain with them. And a lot of people are dying and being affected negatively by the CIA's action. I mean, they torture people, they waterboard a guy. Um, no, they rape the guy. They don't waterboard him. They do waterboard him. He, he walks in with the jug. Right, and then the shot changes, and you see the jug is still there, and the guy's yelling. That guy gets raped. He doesn't get waterboarded. That's the implication. Oh, I don't. I, I never picked up on that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I that took me like a couple rewatches to get that, and I, at least I'm pretty sure that's the fucking implication of that one. I mean, right? Because he walks in with the water jug, but then that shot cuts immediately to the jug and him uh, being tortured. Still, well, right? so they're not using the jug, but he's oh, still well, like. Oh, I, you know, I just I just took that as they were beating him. Because wow. he walks, I, you know, he walks in my... and he sets the jug down, and they cut away, and you hear him screaming. I took it as they just started beating the shit out of him, um, because they beat All a lot right. of people well, in this know, movie. Some, yeah, so, something, something physically violent. But that's I, not think, waterboarding, I think, I think why, is like... um, I think why you thought that is because right before they cut away from that scene, um, the hitman walks up and he puts his dick right in the guy's face, and he's like straddling yeah. him, and. In the same shot on the right side of the screen is Josh Brolin sitting on a table behind him and he's got his legs up and you can see just like his dick and balls bulging out of his pants. Like it's right in your face. Like he's spreading his legs towards the camera. It's like very clearly a staged shot while Benicio del Toro is shoving his dick in this guy's face. And it's clearly like there is another theme of this movie, which is like masculinity. You know, every single other law enforcement person that Emily Blunt interacts is with dude. is a man. Um, it's very yeah. reminiscent of silence of the lambs in that way. Um, there's scenes where she walks into a room and it's from her perspective, all the men just staring at her and she's abused in a way where I think they're kind of trying to play off of like the innocence of femininity, like, you know what I mean? Innocence and like American perspective is being represented by this feminine yeah, person femininity, who's right? being like yeah, abused, brutal, by like josh brolin especially at the end like there's that scene where he like pinches her into the dirt and he's telling her to stop struggling um yeah so yeah there's a lot going on in this movie um similar to fight club i think a lot of people just watched it and thought yo that was some it's sick like cartel, cartel violence movie. um yeah but it's yeah, really, got a lot going on it's, it's got really a lot to say and um i towards the second act it maybe slows down a little bit other than that i think it's a perfect movie um and it's Again, I think it illustrates what I love about a movie, right? It's got this suspense. It's got the music and and the the style, the overhead shots and, you know, the the border scene. It's got the suspense and the build up and then it's got these really powerful payoffs that like nail down the themes and like there's callbacks to really interesting ideas earlier in the script. Um yeah, I, and I think that's indicative of like most of his movies, you know, Prisoners, Arrival, um, Enemy, Blade Runner. I haven't the, seen Enemy. 
it's like 90 minutes. It's pretty good. Um, oh, really? Okay. Mine just not got out today. Um, but they're all movies that, you know, they, they end in a way that's really trying to nail home, like what the movie is about. Um, while still having like really intimate character interaction. What did you think of Dune? Because that's his first adaption, isn't it? I think that's the first thing that he's adapted. Um, I, I saw Dune once in theaters and I loved the absolute fuck out of it. Um, I, I definitely think it benefits from a theater experience, not just, um, not just from like a visual and, and, and sound perspective, but I think also like it's a movie that really takes its time. Um, and it ends in a way that is so it ends on in a way that's unsatisfying because they, they have to have a sequel because it's such a long book. And it kind of, if I have one complaint about the movie, it's that it kind of just ends um, that's the one complaint everyone has about it. There's this massive climax that happens. And then there's like 20 to 30 minutes of just like, of just like, this is how we get to movie. the, ne- yeah. Setting up the next movie. Um, so that's it's so know, different from any of his other movies because all of his other stories are like very tight, self-contained, yeah. you know, self-referential plots. Yes. Right. And then Dune is just like setting up a bunch of stuff. Right. But I, I love like it. I, I, you know, like Blade Runner is all is similar. Obviously, it's a, it's 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 closer. You know, Dune is closer to Blade, Blade Runner, Runner than I it is Arrival. Is, you know, but Blade Runner is like self-contained. Yeah, you know what sure. I mean. Like, there's callbacks to the original movies, but like, I didn't, I hadn't seen the original Blade Runner when I saw Twenty Four Nine, right? Yeah, but so but, I went to but at the same with, like no knowledge. At the same token, you know. Once Dune Two comes out, we're gonna say the same thing. It's it's a self-contained story. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't. I think what we're driving at is that Dune is more of um. It's more of a traditional sci-fi movie. It's not. It's not trying. It. Dune is a movie yeah, where right. Denis Villeneuve isn't. Um, Denis Villeneuve isn't trying to insert. You know his own specific theme he's adapting a story that's really really well done he does it with incredible visuals incredible suspense incredible music incredible performances and great writing because it's based off of a great book but it's not you know if you compare it to something like arrival you know arrival is a movie that doesn't like yes it's a sci-fi obviously but it's a very intimate story and it's a story yeah arrival is amazing right it's it's a it's a theme that people can easily apply to their own lives more or less you know um the idea of you know what do you take the theme of arrival um there's two themes there's number one which might be the the number one theme which is if you if you saw your future would you change anything and it's like this idea of like if you knew that like the the whole theme is kind of based off of her daughter are you gonna yeah if you know how the story's gonna Um, end you still yeah but then it's also more broadly it's a movie about communication um and about like working together there's kind of both of those themes are at play in the movie but i would say the deeper more um more powerful theme that sticks with you is that theme that the movie ends on, which is when you find out, you know, the big reveal that her yeah, daughter hasn't been born yet. Um, that's kind of the real 
ending. Um, but both are at play. I, I think it's a great movie. Um, Blade Runner is also, you know, pretty traditional. I mean, Blade Runner and Dune go hand in hand because they're not super. I, I really disagree with you. Because I think thematically, this is what I do, This is why I was like, I didn't really care much for Dune, honestly, because I think Dune, as as far as I understand from the story, is like very much a traditional sci-fi story, right? Where like I would say you're wrong you know, because you don't know the ending of Dune. Um, okay, but and, like from what I'm getting thematically, I think the themes that he explores in Arrival and Blade Runner are much more interesting than anything he explores in Dune. Well, okay, here's the thing is I know broadly what the ending of Dune is, and it takes a much more subversive turn than is than is than is present in the first movie. And I think that's kind of the problem is that, you know, the first half of Dune is set up as a traditional white savior um, you know, superhero type sci-fi story. And the second half of Dune is much more interested in the political backside and how things kind of take a turn in a subvertive way. And you get a taste of that at the end of Dune. You get a taste of, you know, this isn't quite the story that you thought it was going to be. You know, things kind of hit the fan pretty insanely. And the end of the movie yeah. ends in a very open-ended, weird place. Um, so it's tough because I think once we have Dune one and two, I think collectively it's going to be a much more It'll powerful be to, like, story. Yeah. And the second okay. one I hope is better. Um, but you're right. I mean, Blade Runner has more to say. It is a very subvertive movie. It's probably one I of, if Blade not Runner. the best, um, takes on the whole, like, you know, what does it mean to be human? That's the premise of the movie, right? Um, oh Yeah. Who deserves and by to the way, have that's rights? Maybe and have Ryan Gosling's best performance. That's maybe Ryan Gosling's best performance. I would say it probably is. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, dude. I fucking love Blade no. Runner. It's like a nine out of ten. It's fucking the way incredible. he the way he grapples with like you know he thinks that like you know he might actually be real and then to find out that he's not. It's just unbelievable the way he does it. Oh, it's awesome. And he doesn't emote for most of the movie, which is, you know, it just perfect casting from Denny because he's before this, he was known as that guy that didn't really emote much. He kind of just was there. Um, and it works in this movie because of what his character is. And when he does have those emotional outbursts, it's not only more powerful from like a pacing perspective, but it's more powerful from like a thematic perspective because you actually, you know what I mean? Like you're actually seeing the point of the movie by watching the progression of his emotion, right? Which is like, number one, what makes you human? Number two, who deserves love? And number three, is the knowledge of the first two, does that change who you are? Because it's it's very clear that just learning certain things about himself allows him to be a different type of robot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all of the rebels believe that he was real be made of right. like think, you know. Right. It all started with an idea that allowed him to break his programming. Um and so those are all really interesting themes that play well with each other. And then of course you have just like gas performances, gas cinematography, gas songs, like amazing stuff. Like the world looks so it looks amazing. It yeah, looks yeah. Unbelievable. He, and he literally just copied and pasted like all of the same world builders for Dune. Like he got like the same sound guy, the same cinematographer, the same fucking like you know language guy. Like he got like, I, I all didn't of think the same Dune people. looked as good as I guess I I prefer like that that you know 
cyberpunk high rise yeah that high rise fucking lights everywhere aesthetic for the future i guess as opposed to just the sands of dune yeah but dune also had like the other environments too that were really i thought listen dude the water world was cool i would love I just, to rewatch I it much for dune. i think my problem is like it, it definitely feels like it's the beginning of something yeah it's the beginning of something with no clear end yeah and i just need to have some sort of i, I think watching them i think one two comes out i think i'll be able to go back and reflect more on one but right now it's it just feels incomplete listen i i completely agree and i think the main reason i haven't rewatched dune yet is because it doesn't have that awesome ending that as we've discussed i really crave um and i um but i still love it you know I, i was sitting there in the theater you know it was a full theater on like opening weekend and i was sitting there and i was admiring the scale and the adult a take on sci-fi you know this isn't star wars this isn't a kids movie it's adult unlimited budget cgi with incredible performances and good writing and i was just ecstatic that that exists um and i was enjoying every minute of it i thought it was i thought he took his time he dug in and i really really respect that he didn't turn it into you know a shallow blockbuster i think he was able to add enough nuance that like you know, he didn't just scrap the book. Like he clearly gives a shit about it. And I think it shows. Um, and so I, I, do you think there's like a a consistent theme throughout his work throughout? I mean, like consistent, consistent, like, um, how do I put this? Like, like a calling card, like things that you can see and like make it like, Oh, now, you know, that's like a movie by him. Yeah. There's one thing he does in a lot of his movies. He does these, uh, slow, um, overhead, like drone shots of like environments. Um, typically he, he picks environments that are, are, that look sci-fi. Like the opening to Blade Runner is actually just like a bunch of solar farms that exist in California or whatever. And like in Sicario, he does it in prisoners. He do, he doesn't do it too much. Are you much. talking about the, when in, in Sicario, is that the opening shot when they're, when you're following the, uh, the team into the, they do it a lot. the house? They do it a lot. They they do it then. They do it like when they're going through the going into the tunnel. They do it like when they're crossing the border. Like he does it a lot where he does these very slow, ominous overhead shots with really bass heavy uh, soundtrack where it's just like this like kind of slowly building. He does that in like all of his movies. Um, and it's great because it, it, it's very suspenseful. He's able to use sound and uh, and scale very effectively. Um, I just rewatched prisoners and I, um, I, I love that movie. I'd give it like a, on rewatch, I'd give it a soft date because I think it is a little too long, but on the first watch, man, it kicks you in the butt. Yeah. I have to rewatch it because I've forgotten most of that movie. I remember the general plot. It's great. I would say I it's a little too rewatch. long and I think thematically it's a little soft. Um, it doesn't have like a really powerful message at the end of it all. Um, but it's like his most like Fincher type movie. Cause it's kind of about, you know, it's about a crazy psychopath. Um, so I, yeah. I, and I love the performances. Um, yeah. I mean, Paul Dano kills everything that he's in. Yeah. And he's and also Hugh Jackman too. Well, yeah. it, it's funny when I rewatched prisoners, I, I was like, damn, did Matt Reeves watch prisoners and decide like, <laughs> this is what Batman should be? Because like, I'm pretty sure Paul Dano's doing exactly what he's going to do as Riddler. And there's even a scene where Hugh Jackman like bangs on the wall and he's like, no more riddles. Um, (laughs) 
and and even he watched ca- that scene it was like i found my dude brother. for real even like the car that's parked on top of like the uh the hole is like, like a muscle yeah. car that looks just like the new batmobile um good dude it's yeah it's kind of funny like and then there's like the the other creepy guy that is he plays like a henchman in the dark knight that batman beats up like the uh, the guy that looks just like uh, paul dano that's yeah, also crazy and everything yeah, i know who you're talking about um, he looks like a mixture of paul dano and killian murphy yeah there's just like a lot of like little things in here that's like okay i could see batman coming out of this um <laughs> that's actually really funny i'm gonna rewatch prisoners now because of that just so i can see what matt reeves is what matt reeves saw yeah, I mean, dude, uh, Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Terrence Howard, Paul Dano, Viola Davis. I mean, it's it's stacked. That's a hell of a cast. Yeah, that's a stacked. And and you know, and 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 while we were watching this, Natalie turns to me and she goes, "You know, this is a really pretty movie." And it's true. Like, uh, de- I, one thing I haven't touched on at all. I've been talking about his script and his writing and his sound, but like his cinematography is like nearly on. Does he write his own movies? Um, he didn't write prisoners he didn't write dune um it it's looking like no um no he doesn't he doesn't write his movies um but i mean dude his movies are so beautiful the cinematography is like yeah it's a plus plus um so check out enemy it's one of his softer movies because it's early um and i've only seen it once is that the one where jake gyllenhaal there's like two jake gyllenhaal yes yes Okay, but it's it's very open ended, so you might like it. It's a very artsy movie. It's only ninety minutes. Um, Yeah, I like that. I can crush that. I've never seen Incendies or Polytechnique, for the record. So I don't. I don't. Well, I don't even know what those are. We are uh, we are at the end of an hour, so I know there are more directors we both love to talk about. In broad strokes, can you name like a couple more that you like really love? Uh, I love Wes Anderson. Me too. You know, I haven't seen, I've seen all of his movies except for the stop action ones and bottle rocket. Um, Isle of dogs is fine. Um, I just don't love I don't love the medium of stop motion film. You know, it's just, it's just not for me. You know, it's like, it's the same thing I feel about claymation. I just don't care about it. Um, Grand Budapest hotel is one of the greatest movies ever made. I and, fucking love Grand Budapest. Um, the Royal Tenenbaums is also absolutely fantastic. I think the thing that I really like about him is like his movies come off as very childlike due to the, like mm-hmm. the direction and all of that stuff, right? But there's this really um, throughout all of his movies, there's like this interesting undercurrent of sadness throughout yes. all of them that is really yeah. that you know it's hard to place, but you can definitely feel it. And it's I, I sadness, love that. It's, it's like so. Uh, it's sadness from kind of almost a child's eyes. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's simplistic but still weighted. It's it's really hard. It's like it's definitely not clearly it's definitely not easily able to like see it. Right? When you when you enter a Wes Anderson movie, it's so joyful and stuff that and like it's really, you know, you can you can feel it, but like it's hard to like place that feeling. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, and the that's directors. what I really love. Uh, like I said, Yorgos Lanthimos, what a fucking weirdo. Yeah. You know? He what writes fucking weirdo. weird, weird, weird fucking movies. Um, yeah. And it's phenomenal. I love, I love just the straight face. You get thrown into a world where things are just so fucking odd and the characters just sort of live with it. Cause I think that's sort of a reflection on the world. You know, we just sort of inhabit the world that we do without much reflection, without really reflecting on the, 
the underlying pillars of it. I think that's very, you know, I think his direction, I think is that's really, truthful. really, I think his direction is spectacular. His writing is whatever. I, I don't love it. I love really? It. I yeah. love his writing. I, you should watch killing of a sacred deer. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, so yeah, but, but his style is, is crazy. I mean, even when he's not writing the script, you know, his, his direction is very unique and, and, and really, really well done. I think he has a crazy future ahead of him if he keeps going. Um, and then it, yeah. What is he, has he done anything since the favorite? Is he like, nope, I think that's it. Huh. And, um, for me, it for anything. let me look real quick. Um, no, I, I don't see anything else um coming up but maybe it's oh bleat 2022 so we'll see we'll see if that's real or if it's just a weird little case that someone inserted into letterboxd um all right Mm. two two directors that i would like to shout out before we wrap up um as cliche as he is um, Christopher Nolan builds worlds with um, really, really strong momentum. I love them a lot. I think thematically he is weak, but he is able yeah. to create sci-fi worlds that feel very real. Um, and I respect the shit out of that. Um, I think he's probably the best blockbuster director. You know, he makes the best said, blockbusters out of anyone uh, that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Go watch The Prestige if you haven't, as well as Memento. Um, in in my review for Tenet, uh, I I said, I said, um, I recently rewatched Inception, and this movie does something very similar in terms of genre. Nolan has this way of making complex sci-fi concepts the backdrop of movies with a different focal point. This movie is about time travel, but it's mainly about espionage. Um, I really enjoy that he's able to take these complex settings and use them as a backdrop for a different story. Um, and he's really polished. So I, I like that a lot. Um, because Inception's a heist movie. It's a heist movie. Exactly. Um, exactly. And then, um, I have to shout out Tarantino. Um, his movies are much more in the popcorn brand. Um, but I mean, he's undeniable, you know, Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction, Django and Glorious Bastards. Reservoir Dogs. Once upon a time. You think he's gotten worse as he's gotten older? I think he's gotten more indulgent, um, which makes him worse in some ways. I would levy similar arguments against Wes Anderson and his latest film. I would, I would say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is comparable in many ways to um, the latest French Wes, to French Dispatch. Not necessarily in the movies themselves, but they are really, really good uh, examples of you know, sometimes when a director goes on this winning streak, they're given so much control that they end up making something that instead of being different is like the most indulgent version of themselves. And that has its own upsides and downsides. Um, and it usually ends up with a lot of lulls, you know, once upon a time has great highs, but it's got a lot of just, okay, this is good. You know, this is, yeah, I just I found Once Upon a Time really drag. I mean, dude, it's like three like hours a lot long. Of stuff. Yeah, right. It's just there's so much stuff. Yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's, a, it's tough to rewatch uh, for sure. Um, I don't care for Hateful yeah. Eight. It's a bottle episode. And I've never seen Jackie Brown, so I don't know. Jackie Brown is surprisingly good. It's got a really good Robert De Niro performance too. Um, I well, think that's his only time in a Tarantino movie. 
Who? Who? Uh, De Niro. I think Jackie yeah. Brown is his only time being in a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's correct. Oh, man. All right. Well, um, before we wrap up, um, by the way, thank you. I know that we could have gone on and on about other directors, but I think we covered a lot yeah. of bases. And I know I rambled a lot, so I apologize. Um, oh, I mean, I love listening to you ramble about movies, dude. I know I ramble about movies, too. That's why we're friends. Um, well, thank you. Um, is there a movie coming out soon that you are interested in? Something you're excited for, maybe? Coming out soon? Honestly, I'm going to sound like a complete fucking uh, loser, but the Batman, dude. Yeah. Planet of the Apes 2 is literally... I have Planet of the Apes 2 as a 10 out of 10 movie. It's definitely not, because all of the yeah. human scenes are bullshit horrible, and I don't care about them. But every single scene with Caesar and Koba and the monkeys it's is incredible. just like yeah, it's really unbelievable. Good. It's unbelievable. And yeah. Andy Serkis absolutely kills it. And all of the monkeys actually kill it. And then the ending for the movie is also one of the most interesting and fucking phenomenal endings for any movie where Caesar is just like Koba is not ape. Right. And yeah. that's how he just decides to kill him. I mean, what an interesting yeah. ontological answer to the question of why can't ape no kill ape. Yeah. Know? I yeah. find that to be endlessly fascinating. Yeah, I, I, um, as as simple as it sounds, I do also think the Batman is what I'm looking forward to the most right now. The um, yeah, you you mentioned the most director. of my favorite directors don't really. Yeah, um, most of my favorite directors don't really have anything coming out right now. I don't think. You mentioned the of. yeah. I mean, you mentioned you were excited for the Batman because of the director. I actually got all of my hype at max levels before I even knew who the director was, um, simply because the casting all around is so interesting. Oh yeah, I think Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. has the potential to be the most captivating version of Bruce Wayne that we've ever seen, and I really oh, hope, yeah. I really hope they're able to draw a um a meaningful theme or message or something you know the worst case scenario the movie is just stylish um and has a a a generally interesting and dark mood um but i am hoping that they're able to tie together you know an interesting script you know I, i hope that they play with the riddler and catwoman in a way that adds something different or, or, or something substantive to those stories because you know the dark knight and other batman movies like they're good movies they're entertaining but it would be interesting to see something that is more in line with like you know a dramatic movie with something real yeah. to say that would be cool so i'll say this i think i think that i think christopher nolan's dark knight and dark knight rises have things to say i just think that they have horrible things to say yeah well like that, the dark that's... knight essentially justifies the police state and then the dark knight rises like oh yeah no it's it would be bad if we take things away from rich people well that and, like that's exactly to, they don't and I'll, like the I, dark think they, rises, I think they say things they say horrible things yeah and and the dark Knight rises is the perfect example of kind of what i'm saying which is it's very very entertaining movie i've i'll rewatch it if it's on um but it's you know it has all of these interesting ideas teed up and it doesn't really commit to any of them it doesn't it's straight up do you mind if i rant to you for like two minutes about the dark knight rises um briefly okay all right 
it tees up such an interesting, uh, so many interesting things because like, you know, Bruce Wayne is this billionaire and like Gotham still really hasn't gotten, like Gotham's gotten better, but there's still like a bunch of people in jail. There's still like, you know, Bane obviously points out like massive inequality between the citizens of Gotham City. And it tees up all of these really interesting things that it came out during a time when like the Occupy movement is like coming to the forefront of America, right? And yeah. then it just throws it all away by yeah. being like, oh yeah, the bomb is going to go off anyways, yeah. right? And yeah, like, they just, they just really introduce they just introduce this like out of left field, anti-intellectual, um, not even anti-intellectual, just like non-thematic way of, of painting Bane as the ultimate bad guy. Whereas it would have been a more interesting film if you can paint him as a very reasonable man that perhaps has the right ideas, um, but isn't executing them well. Um, or, 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 yeah. isn't, or whatever you might, you know what I mean? There's, there's interesting ideas. I, I really hope that the new Batman movie is able to, to actually like, you know, especially the relationship with Catwoman is supposed to be this classist critique. Like Batman has the most potential in the realm of critiquing class and critiquing the wealthy. And there's a really cliche way to do that. Um, but you know, mega rich billionaire Bruce Wayne falling in love with, you know, criminal, poor Catwoman and, you know, and dealing with ideas of class interests me much more than, um, Batman beat up crazy guy. Um, beat up Bane. Right. I just, I don't, I'm hoping that they go the extra step. Um, and then the other movie that I'm interested in is Jordan Peele's third film, which comes out in July called Nope, starring Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Um, I hope it's good. Yes. His third film. Is there a trailer for that? There is not. There's only a poster and a title um, and a and a short cast list. We know nothing about the movie itself, only that it's coming okay. out in July. Um, his first movie, Get Out, is probably maybe the best script ever written. The second movie is very mediocre. Nope, I hope is a. I, I found us third. to be scarier than Get Out. I don't give a shit about but the I horror. Have, I, I just I think the a, script is boring I have a as shit. About body snatchers. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just think thematically us. I don't give a fuck. And I think get out is like the best script ever written. I actually mean that. Um, so yeah, yeah, I would recommend revisiting. It's really tight. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the tightest three or four times. It's really tight. Yeah. I'll give you that. It's very good. It sets up a lot. It tees up a lot of things that it has. very Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, it's, really and it's well able done. to like critique like race in a way that isn't like too over the top and is like it's essential definitely a to the plot. perspective as well on race on race politics yeah, it's definitely it's, very interesting it's essential to the plot it's very twilight zone it does everything right um so yeah I, I i do really appreciate you taking the time to join me um i'm sorry to cut it right now but we're at an hour and a half oh, no. um thank you for joining me i really appreciate it thanks for having me man All right. I'll catch you later. Um, And for all of you listening or watching, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on other platforms. Uh, Go to withgrose.com for all of the links. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye-bye.